With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I want to say thank you to the Iowa Pork Producers for coming on and being a sponsor of the Hawkeye Nation podcast. The Iowa Pork Industry, including production, processing, and packing, provided more than 141,000 jobs in 2015. That's about the total combined populations of Ames, Ankeny, and Coralville, with nearly 52% in production. And the pork industry contributed over $750 million in state and local taxes in 2015. Iowa, get this, Iowa produces a third of the hogs raised in the United States and is the nation's leader in pork production and more than 90% of Iowa's hog farms are family owned. So thank you to the Iowa pork farmer. Thank you to the Iowa pork consumer. Visit their website at iowapork.org. For one more beer for me, exile needs quality, so savagely. Best beer in all the land, brewed with a loving hand. From bottle, keg, or can, exile brewing, E-X-I-L-E, for me. HN Podcast, Miller and Dace. Uh, I suppose we need to talk about Iowa's, what was it, 24-15 to 15 loss to Purdue at home. Uh, I was concerned that this game was going to be very ugly. Uh, it was ugly in more ways than one. I've had my initial say on it in the Instant Reaction Podcast, which is brought to you by Exile Brewing Company, Heartland Flag Poles and Flags, and the Iowa Pork Producer. Steve, what? were your general thoughts on that game really just uh, an inexcusable performance i i don't know how else to put it really just an inexcusable performance um i can't say anything else other than that i, I just thought it was an inexcusable performance on many levels and it's uh it, it's like this team thought the season ended two weeks ago. And um, I don't know. I, I can't tell Iowa fans how to feel if it was me. You know, I think I'd probably rather have the last two weeks of wins in exchange for the one shining moment against Ohio State. But um, I, I just found it a, a disheartening, inexcusable performance comprehensively really through three quarters which really the the fourth quarter for Iowa that's where they got a good chunk of their yards and and through three quarters it was pretty much nasty Iowa was already down pretty bad you know a deep hole nine first downs through three quarters against Purdue um 174 total yards on 49 plays through three quarters against Purdue just Three of eleven on third downs. You know, I, roughly about that time, Steve Iowa had run twenty or twenty-one first down plays, 
and on all but two or three of them, I think. Maybe it wasn't that many, but I, I know the disparity was immense. Iowa ran the ball on those first down plays almost every time, but two or three. And I was noticing every first down, I was watching, Purdue would walk an eighth, sometimes a ninth man into the box. There were multiple times they blitzed both linebackers on first down. And Iowa didn't get much on first down. And then on second down, Purdue would drop seven. Um, and whenever Iowa did throw on first down and there were some drops, and it was second and 10 or second and 11, uh, Purdue then would counter and they would run blitz. They had Iowa's tendencies, you know, scouted. I mean, if I have their tendency scouted, Purdue's going to have them, and any other Big Ten team's going to have them. I, I just that that's just really frustrating when you can see these clear and obvious tendencies mm-hmm. and, and you still try to run into it. And that was just an abysmal offensive performance. And people are, are really starting to get angry by and large of what we saw Iowa do against Ohio state. Now, again, Ohio state is the only team on Iowa schedule this year that hasn't, aggressively blitzed and stacked the box to take away Iowa's running game and make Iowa play left-handed, which it can't even do. Um, but, man, and Purdue's defense is much better this year. You, you give them credit even before this game, but Iowa shouldn't look that bad in November against Purdue. And the biggest concern to me is for a program that calls itself a developmental program, Iowa looked better in September than it did this weekend against the Purdue Boilermakers. I can't argue with anything you just said. And, you know, I think we said the podcast post-Ohio State that the danger of that game now for the Iowa coaches is everybody saw on film with our own eyes they can do it when they are willing to, right? And so the excuses for when and if the time comes – Next go around that they don't will be blank, and and that's really where we are. And um, you know, I told you back in August the fa- the the underlying subplot of this team I was going to find fascinating all throughout the course of the season, depending on how it went, was to follow the timeline with the coach's son being brought in as the offensive coordinator, and. You know, it, it really wasn't that big of a story either way until the pull all the stops, pull out all the stops performance against Ohio State. And and that was sort of his coming out party, sort of establishing Brian, particularly after the previous week when he got reprimanded for, you know, um, the uh, the outburst he had in the box about uh, the replay officials. When you follow that up with what we've seen the last two weeks, uh, you know, you'll take last week's performance against Wisconsin and say classic letdown spot. Wisconsin, that was the first team with a pulse they were playing all year. It's a rivalry game. They had that one circled. Okay. But then you come home against Purdue, you know, and, you know, Purdue has struggled to score more than 21 points in conference play. That was the best their downfield passing attack has looked since they won that game at Missouri at the beginning of the season. We're going back two months now. It's not even, again, it's, it's kind of the inverse of the Ohio State game. It's, it's not pulling that upset that was so momentous, but the way Iowa did it, the way they won it, 
it's not even having that letdown loss. It's the way that they played. If you would have told me we'd be sitting here heading into Nebraska and Akram Wadley would have less than 850 yards rushing, I think is what he has less than, might even have less than 800 yards rushing. I, I would have said, I mean, uh, high ankle sprain, hammy, right? Twisted knee, missed two to four weeks. Right. Nope. Nope. They've just never established that on any level whatsoever. And, yeah, I mean, the, the touchdown to interception, we've talked about this all year, too. The, the touchdown to interception ratio with Nathan Stanley is good, but his overall efficiency numbers are not. Now, you, you can't look at pass efficiency rating because, you know, heading into last Saturday, the, you know, uh, Brandon Peters had a higher pass efficiency rating than Nathan Stanley. I don't know. Anybody would think that at this point in their careers, Brandon Peters is a better quarterback than Nathan Stanley. So th- those numbers don't tell the whole story any more than the touchdown interception ratio does. But when you have a high pass efficiency rating, but your team doesn't score a lot of points, uh, or you have a huge touchdown interception radio ratio, but your efficiency rating isn't that good. Well, then you got to look at the context of those numbers too, and that's sort of where the feast or famine aspect of Iowa's offense comes in. Um, uh, you know, the adjustment the Purdue coaches made in their passing game to get you know their guy isolated, uh, you know, one on one with fade routes down the field, and how that worked. Uh, pretty much the entire quarter. That's probably the best passing quarter that Purdue has had against an FBS foe or against a Power 5 conference foe this entire season. Uh, I, I Just the whole thing was disappointing. you know. And, and the 10,000 Iowa fans that showed up looking like empty seats looked like they knew something the rest of us didn't know. Yeah, you mentioned the, the halftime adjustment that Purdue's coaching staff made to – I don't even know Maungu, the 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 receiver that you know was targeted the first six plays of the second half and had five receptions for two touchdowns. Right. And the right. only the only play that he didn't score on was when Manny Ragumba held him so that he didn't go score on that play. I mean, that's that's the kind of thing that I I guess that's the kind of thing I was expecting from Brian Ferentz this year based upon how many times he'd spoken as an assistant about finding mismatches and exploiting those. That's what Purdue did. And I give Jeff Brom or whomever came up with that a ton of credit. Yeah, you're not going to throw at Josh Jackson, but you're going to throw at Manny Ragumba, who we all thought was maybe Iowa's best cornerback coming into this year. He got benched, and Michael Ojemudia came in, and he got beat on a deep pass. He got benched. Then they brought in Matt Hankins, a true freshman, who got beat for a touchdown. I mean, that's just – that's startling. That's just startling. And then you know what they did the next series? They moved Jackson over onto the guy, which Iowa doesn't ever really do that with matchups. But they had no mm-hmm. choice because they were getting torched. And you know the very first play that Purdue did? They went to the other side of the field where Jackson wasn't. Now that was incomplete, and they kind of – you know that train stopped uh, running over Iowa, but still – they saw a mismatch, they took advantage of it, and they exploited it, and you tip your cap to them. You just haven't seen Iowa do that very often. And with the exception of the, the tight end mastery against Ohio State, hadn't seen much of that this year. Now, again, as Iowa, it would be great to have those two senior left tackles, but it's been a long time since they've been around this year. 
And you just don't expect your team to backslide the way that we've seen against Purdue. And and I can almost close my eyes, grip my teeth, and, and somewhat write off the Wisconsin game. But the Wisconsin game on the heels of the Purdue game with both preceded by the Ohio State game, this I don't understand. I just do not understand it. I don't get it. Um, I, I would fully, even though Nebraska is bow uh, beaten and going to be coachless probably within you know five days from now, I, I don't see why Bob Diaco doesn't just bring the house and do what everybody else has done. And I'm not sure that Iowa can overcome it. And they certainly can't overcome it. I mean, they, Nathan Stanley's completed 55% of his passes this year, which isn't great. But I would guess that there's probably at least 30 drop passes. I mean, there, mm-hmm. were, there were four this weekend. There were six against Wisconsin. So that's 10 in the last two games. Uh, there was only there was one against Ohio State, but I won't even – that was Brandon Smith late in the game and it didn't really matter. But Iowa, yeah, there's been some lack of execution. But I just feel that knowing what Iowa's challenges and struggles are, we've got so much film on tape. Continuing to run the ball into eight-man blitz fronts on first down is not putting your team, is not putting your freshman tackles, is not putting your first-year starter quarterback, is not putting the worst wide receiver core in the Big Ten Conference in the best position to try to have some success. In Iowa's play-action passing game, there were a lot of people after the Wisconsin game saying, where's the play-action? Well, you know what I think? I think the reason why they didn't run it against Wisconsin is what you saw on Saturday against Purdue. Um, other, I, I, There were at least two, if not three, free rushers off the right side. And that's where Iowa boots to, off the play-action when they roll it. And then, there, then you have play-action and your back is turned to that side. And Nathan Stanley got mm-hmm. crushed because Iowa's not picking it up. So that's why I don't think they're running play action because they're scared they can't block it up. And there's one more game left. And this this offense, you know, in the end, Steve, this offense probably is going to come in about what we thought it was going to be. Uh, a team that going into the season, coming out of last season, we knew they had the worst wide receiver core in the Big Ten, and they did next to nothing to well, I shouldn't say they did next to nothing to short up. There wasn't really going to be a lot other than banking on freshman wide receivers. And we talked about Brand, the, the Smith kid all summer long, and I think he's probably had seven targets. So that same old, you know, Lucy pulling the football away there, uh, pulling the football away there a little bit. Um, the offensive line has not played anywhere what we thought it was. Injuries certainly hurt that. I think Stanley's been capable for sure. I, if anything, they haven't gotten the balls to the tight ends enough. So by and large, this offense is going to be the underwhelming unit we thought. But I think that Ohio State game, and you did point it out, I think it gave people, and me included, maybe a little more hope to think that they turned a little bit of a corner. Not that they were going to replicate those results the rest of the way, but they turned a corner, and that was something to build on. And that just hasn't turned out to be the case. So I think there's a lot of bewilderment out there at this juncture. Well, as you were talking, I you know I was thinking back, and you even alluded to it. I, I was thinking back to what we predicted at the start of the season, right? And uh, essentially, this is going to end up pretty much what we predicted at the start of the year and 
it and then you throw in Iowa won the game that you know they win every year that no one thinks they're going to win and lost the game every year that no one thinks they're going to lose and so I think we need to put that in perspective but I think what makes it hard to do that is not winning the Ohio State game but the way that they did I think that's what makes it difficult I, I, I have no explanation for why um, it's pull out all the stops against Ohio State and Penn State or every other blue blood yeah yeah and then and then the next couple of weeks it's like hey look they got nine in the box with the all gap run blitz on let's try to run against that on first and second down I I, I don't I don't get that I don't understand it I'm I'm not in the meetings so I have to presume you know your your coach has a fantastic Big Ten record so overall so he knows what he's doing so i have to assume that there's some method to this madness you know i I, but the part about it that is mind-numbing is not that you have a stubborn style of football that about 75 to 80 percent of the time historically under this coach does your does your team serves your team well and then there's just moments when it doesn't that are very frustrating that's not the issue the issue is that in isolated cases We've seen them have huge success breaking tendency. I mean, they, they broke tendency for an entire season 11 years ago, or 12 years ago and ran that all the way to a Big Ten championship. That's what I find fascinating about it. And, you know, I've, I've alluded to this in some of our offseason podcasts in the past is that usually when Kirk breaks tendency, you know, the the running Jake Rudolph off in the in, in, in the offseason and and giving the job to. Uh, C.J. Beathard without, you know, the typical training camp, well, you know, next man in, you got to earn it, you know, methodology. Every time Kirk has, that I can think of, he has broken tendency in his Iowa career, it has worked. And that's what makes it so frustrating, I would imagine, if you're an Iowa fan, that it's not, you know, if you're an, if you're a fan of an old school coach back in the day, you know, Woody versus Bo, you knew what was coming, and you knew there were certain moments you're going to be frustrated, but they were just stubborn old cusses and they weren't going to change, is that you've seen your coach break tendency and change, and it's worked almost every time he's done it. And so why don't they do it on a more regular basis? And I don't I don't know the answer to that. And if I did, I'd probably get a Gary Barta extension until year 2035 if I knew the answer to that. I don't know the answer. Yeah, I, I don't either. And that is that is frustrating. Uh, for sure. And this, okay, so clearly I've expressed my overall concern slash irritation, whatever you want to call it, with regards to the loss at Purdue. So what I'm going to transition to now, you've had the pound of flesh. And I know that this is a bit of the micro, but for me, it's, it's almost somewhat part of a macro. The black and gold unites us all, but then what? Kevin the Flag Guy from Heartland Flags here. If you're listening to this podcast, you bleed black and gold. But what comes after the Hawks? For me, it's the Cincinnati Reds and Cincinnati Bengals. Nope, can't explain it. What about you? Packers and Wizards? Pelicans and Sharks? NASCAR and the Jags? 
Bulls, Bucks, and Chargers, whatever flag you want, we've got it. Jump online to heartlandflags.com and shop our huge inventory of sports teams' flags. You won't find a better selection or better prices anywhere, guaranteed. And to top it off, free shipping on all purchases at heartlandflags.com. Oh, and that Iowa flag you've been flying since the Hawks last went to the Orange Bowl? Time to step up and freshen up with a new design. Check out our Hawkeye selection when you're shopping for your other favorite team flags at heartlandflags.com, where you'll never pay for shipping. Iowa was down by 15 points. They score a touchdown with 64 seconds left to close the margin to nine. Hmm. They elect to go for two as opposed to kicking the extra point, which would have made it an eight-point and one possession game. Instead, they go for two, and they don't get it, and now they're down nine with 64 seconds left, and the game is over unless you cover an onside kick, score a touchdown, then recover another onside kick, and kick a field goal, and you do that in 64 seconds. What were your thoughts on that decision? Because apparently there's some new school of thought out there that says that you should go for two in that instance. And I'm curious as to what your thoughts are on that. You and I haven't discussed this. That's how we roll. Uh, and if and if you think that that's the way to go, I want you to tell me what are your thoughts there. I thought it was one of the dumbest game management calls I've seen a coach make in professional or collegiate football this year. That's what I thought. Okay, then we have a similar opinion of that. Um, let, let and, I'm, and, I'm, and, and I'm trying to, because I had some Iowa fans say something to me about this over the weekend on Twitter when I mentioned it at the time. And, you know, I'm, I, tomorrow I go teach my high school worldview class that I teach here for Christian school, Christian school students around the city of Des Moines. I teach every Monday. And one of the things I teach them is argumentation. And I have told my students repeatedly Every argument I've lost, just about every argument I've lost in my career came down to I assumed the person arguing against me had no validity to their point. And so I made arrogant presumptions that eventually uh, got my pants pulled down. Take, and so I coached them all the time. You know, I, and early in my career, I did not always do this. That's why I had to learn this the hard way. And, you know, being a conservative going on MSNBC and CNN and stuff a lot, you learn to figure out where the other person is coming from. Because if you if your assumption right away is, well, I only surround myself with people that agree with me, and so everyone that does not has no validity to their argument. Once you get outside your own circle jerk, you're going to get your pants pulled down too. So I'm I'm I tried to really think about this, and and I don't I I I, I when you texted me that you wanted me to discuss this. And I didn't know what you thought about it. You just told me you wanted me to discuss. And I'm like, is this an argument? I, I don't, I, I don't, I'm trying to figure out, I really am. So you have a Purdue team that, that hasn't won a lot of games in recent years. They're trying to establish an identity. They're playing out of their mind, frankly, in the third quarter. And then they get a two possession game, a two possession lead. And they're attempting to basically ice this one away. All right. They're, they're trying to play four-minute offense the whole rest of the fourth quarter now. You get a score. I don't know why you don't kick an extra point to make it a one-possession game so that right now the pressure's on Purdue. Every time they go to line up now, one of their linemen goes to – the crowd's in it. Every time they, one of their linemen goes and he's thinking he, 
don't drop the snap. They know that they could lose on the very next possession. Okay, they know that. And the we just saw an NFL game today where the New Orleans Saints made it a one-possession game. And they ended up getting the touchdown at the end of and the pressure they put on the Redskins, who had a huge lead, very similar to the game with Purdue and Iowa. And the pressure they put on the Redskins, they they took one sack when they were trying to ice run out the clock, and it put them behind the sticks. And then they ended up punting. And then the New Orleans had all the momentum at home. They get the touchdown. They get the two point to tie. Send it to overtime. And at that point, you know you know who's going to win because all old Mo is on their side. I don't know why you would not want to have Purdue looking at the scoreboard, looking at the clock, looking at the chains, thinking to themselves, oh, man, here's how we blew the, this game. Here's how we blew that game. Here's how we blew Nebraska just two weeks ago, right? You want Your crowd used to you beating teams like Purdue at home. I don't know why you would not kick an extra point there to make it a one-possession game to put all of those mental intangibles into the game. Because if you get a two-point conversion – and when it's it, and go from nine to seven, it's the same game. Nothing changes. Purdue has the same thoughts on their mind when they're down by when they're up by seven as they're up by eight. Their coaches are still telling them it's only a one possession game. They're still thinking in the back of their mind, hey, we've blown this game all season long. We're going to do it again. It it made no sense to me at all. It essentially ended the game. It took. You're now telling Purdue that instead of executing three or four times when they get the ball back. In order to maintain their lead, they just have to stop Iowa one time on this two-point conversion. All right, I'll take my chances on one play. That's a mentally, that's a lot different. Knowing I've got, I just have to come up with one play to win, as opposed to I get the ball back deep in my own territory. The crowd's all over me. If I jump off sides, we're probably going to have to punt. Total different amount of pressure. I didn't understand it at all. Made no sense to me at all. I, I. I thought it was the, one of the worst and silliest game management decisions I've seen a coaching staff make this entire season, pro or college. And I think the and 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 I and I really don't understand any of the arguments against what I'm saying. I, I've tried to, and I think I'm trying with my tone of voice to show I'm not trying to be snotty or snarky. I I just I I don't get it. It's like someone trying to convince me two plus two equals five, and I'm like. Well, I got two pieces yeah. here, two pieces there. When I add them all up, they're four. And you're yelling at me, convincing me it's five. Yeah. I, am I missing that, something? That's there's a piece there, John, I don't see. That's exactly that's exactly it. No, there's not. And uh, there there have been some stat blogs, some mathematicians or whatever, and you know, statistical analytics guys saying, well, you, you do it here because because then you at least know if you need to to have three possessions or two or two or one or whatever. I, I favored a couple of tweets of people trying that that kind of sum up the general explanation, the general replies I got from people who were on the side of going for two there. And believe me, I was floored at how many people say that you go for two there. Here's a few of them. Either way, the points the points needed and time available are the same. A kick first, then a successful onside kick and a touchdown would feel like lots of momentum, which may slightly increase the odds. Who knows, though? Here's another one. John, it really doesn't matter. You have to make a two-point conversion to still be in it. It's either when Iowa did it or the last play of the game. The ramifications are still the same. Convert and you're still alive. Miss and you lose. The only difference is when. It's not the same. It's, it's, not, 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 it's not the freaking it's same. It's not the same. It's, it's not the same because if it's the last play of the game, 
then that means here's wh- here's where Purdue is at mentally if it's the last play of the game. What it means is they didn't execute offensively and had to give the ball back. That's mental intangible check mark against on the onside kick. One. You mean? Or on the onside kick? Yes. On number number two, it means they also then their defense, which was mauling Iowa's offense all game long, suddenly can't stop them. So you've got you've got all that momentum going against you going against them. That's a lot different than right there. They know they're looking at the clock in like a minute and change to go. We stop them right here. We just coast. Total different mental aspect. I, I, it's not. It's it's it's, it's 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 trying to teach someone to learn how to speak Chinese by only speaking in Chinese to them. It, I, listen, it, you know I'm a data guy. I, I love data, but but you have to. You know, we're not cyborgs. You have to understand. That's the point. Put, That's it. To put to put data into context, using data in this outside of the realm of common sense. These are the guys that this is this is these are the these are the, the metrics and analytic guys that go to the combine. Look at Deshaun Watson. Forget about the fact that the dude threw for eight hundred literally eight hundred yards in two games against Alabama's defense with a national championship on the line and Nick Saban having more than a week to prepare for him. And he, and, and Nick Saban starting eleven guys on defense who all are in NFL training camps two years in a row. Throw for 800 combined yards, eight touchdowns, and one interception. And when he gets to the NFL Combine, they measure his hand size, and they're like, well, I don't know, I think I take Mitchell Trubisky instead. That's, that's when you have to just say, I love data, I love analytics, but I kind of like the way James Franklin explained it when he was asked how he, why he hired Joe Moorhead to be his offensive coordinator before the season. And he said, you know, I, I knew – I, I knew Joe Moorhead before. I'd coached against him before in his offense before, and I thought he was really good. So I wanted to hire him. We looked at the data and analytics of how his offenses perform, and we used that to affirm what our eyes told us. We used that to confirm what our instincts were. But ultimately, da- data and analytics don't take the place of common sense or 2020 eyesight. And and I'm sorry, I just I I don't get the merit of this argument at all. I just don't. I don't see a point. I think it's I think it's a pointless exercise, <laughs> futile. It reminds me of what Robin Williams in Good Morning Vietnam impersonating Nich- Richard Nixon once said about Richard Nixon's nether regions: soft, shallow, and serve no purpose. Excel spreadsheets don't have a formula for puckering. Mm-hmm. They don't. They can't measure fear, emotion. They can't measure, oh, no, we suck again. They can't measure, well, we looked down and it said Purdue on our jerseys. They don't measure anything like that. It's why you kick the dang extra point and give yourself a chance with 64 seconds left in the game. And I'll Don't n- chase points. I'll never, ch- I'll never for, change my mind on this ever. To. Yeah, never. You're right. Don't chase points and don't go for two until you have to. Period. End of sentence. Done. Period. End of podcast. Back with another one tomorrow.